All right, everybody. Merry Christmas. How are we doing? Woo! Hey, I'm glad you're here. My name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. And if you're visiting, welcome. I'm just really glad you're here. We, we, um, we've discovered this, uh, this relationship with Jesus. And every week we just come back because we, we realize that the more we surrender, the more we're transformed. And God has changed our lives. And we don't really can't explain it. We don't really know exactly what's happening, but we know that we're different people and we didn't do it to ourselves. God did it for us. And we're going to talk today about why this night is so important for some and let's say less important for others. Throughout the Christmas season, we've been looking at all the clues that God placed in his scriptures about the coming Savior. Why did they come to adore this child? It was the baby. It hadn't done anything. It just had been born, and yet people were coming to worship a child. Hadn't done anything unique. Hadn't accomplished anything yet. Just a child born in a stable in a nowhere place, and people came to bow down to worship. Why? What would lead rational people to bow down and worship a baby? Well, it turns out that many that night didn't just see a baby in the manger. They knew when they looked into the eyes of that child, they were looking into the eyes of God. God had made it very clear in his holy scriptures. God was coming to earth and he wanted to make sure that the people did not miss his arrival. In this series, we've been exploring 17 of these clues, promises from God. And for those who were studying the scriptures, they were obvious. People were expecting him. They knew the promised one had to arrive very soon. Throughout this series, I've been praying about something that's been bothering me. How could they have missed it? One of the greatest events in human history clues all throughout Scripture, and most people were clueless the night Jesus arrived. I begin thinking that the same thing is happening today. Now we have over 2,500 very specific clues, prophecies to tell us what's going to happen, and most people are missing it. Jesus will return to judge the earth very soon. Each day brings us one day closer than we've ever been. It's so obvious in Scripture that it's hard to believe anyone could doubt it. But many back then and today reject the Scriptures. It's not that the Scriptures or prophecies are incorrect. People just don't want to submit to the authority of the one who wrote them. Yet throughout history, God has foretold what was going to happen. Most people discounted what he said, and then it happened. And they were surprised when God, what God said had happened would actually happen. It's occurred hundreds of times. God promises, God delivers, people are surprised. Not one wrong yet. Of the 2,500 prophecies in the Bible, 2,000 have been fulfilled up to today. To the letter, without question down to the most specific detail, and people still doubt God. I wonder, what does it take? Particularly today, you can read the Bible and know exactly what's going to happen in our world going forward. It's clear. We're living in end times. Every day, major league prophecy is being fulfilled and reported every night in the news. Every year I say it. I am amazed that we're still here. 
I believe that the return of Jesus is imminent. It could happen at any time and not surprise me. The scriptures are that clear. And I'm constantly considered a conservative when it comes to others on this topic. But for so many, these ironclad promises from God mean nothing tonight. The promises meant nothing to most people on that first Christmas night. God made sure that those who lived prior to that first Christmas who really wanted to know could recognize the Messiah when he came. Those who didn't care, those who didn't take time to study God's truth had no idea what was going on, much like we see today. God gave over 332 specific clues about Jesus in the Old Testament. In this series, we just looked at 17. Clues that God gave in his scriptures that would identify the promised one, the Savior he was sending. Of all the people ever born, only one person ever met the criteria that God specified. And the wise men and others knew it. God said a Savior's coming. He'll be a man. He'll be Semitic. He'll be from the tribe of Abraham. Not from Ishmael, rather he's going to come from Isaac. Not from Esau, he's coming from Jacob. Of the 12 tribes of Israel, keep your eye on the tribe of Judah. Of all the families of Judah, keep focused on the branch of Jesse. Of Jesse's son, watch that youngest one, David. Of all of David's sons, keep your eye on Solomon. He'll be born of Solomon's line, but he will be born of a virgin, a sexual virgin. In Bethlehem, not the one in Galilee, the one in Judea. Shepherds will bow down and worship him. You will find him wrapped in love and swaddling cloths. Kings of Persia will bring him gifts. Oh, by the way, they're going to be gold and frankincense. Children will die and mothers will wail around the time of his birth. He'll come out of Egypt, arrive at the temple to be examined on Palm Sunday in 33 AD. And people will call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And if those aren't specific enough, God gave another 315 that Jesus fulfilled when he was here on earth. 28 of them on the day he was crucified. 2,500 prophecies about world events, and there's only about 500 left. And most of those will occur the first day Jesus returns. God made sure that for those who cared... Those who were paying attention would know what's going on when the Savior of the world arrives. And so just as God promised, he came to us in the weakest of ways, waiting for us to come to him, yet willing for us not to. Waiting for us to see, yet willing for us to turn away. Waiting for us to worship him, yet willing for us to renounce him. He's Lord over all creation, yet he placed himself at the mercy of his creation to betray him if we're willing. He's willing for us to deny him, mock him, beat him, and impale him on a cross. Yet even knowing all of that, he still comes. Cradled in the most unexpected of places, coming in the weakest of ways. This child came with a secret. He came to earth to do the one thing he could not do in heaven. He came to die. The timing was perfect. Anticipation and expectations were high. The night was planned thousands of years in advance. God was orchestrating everything. Everything he said that was going to happen, happened. And Paul says it this way. 
When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The fullness of time. It means that everything came together at one moment. Everything God had planned showed up at one time. God had arranged everything. Everyone perfectly in place, the greatest stage open. And God opens the heavens and steps into earth. That's the first Christmas night. So what? I mean, really, so what? What does it matter? Here we are on Christmas Eve, presents are wrapped, trees, houses decorated, family and friends are here, large meal waiting, lots of dessert. We get to play with our toys, even the adults. What does it matter? Many in our culture will have a great holiday without a single thought about Jesus this weekend. So what does it matter? Prophecies fulfilled, perfect empire, perfect timing. So what? If you study and believe the holy words from God, you don't have to wonder about what's going to happen in the future. It's already been written. The events of today were spoken of thousands of years ago. If you study and believe the holy words from God, you can live at peace, free from worry and anxiety. No matter what circumstances you find yourself in. If you study and believe the holy words from God, you can live your life totally free from fear of death, disease, or tragedy. If you study and believe these holy words from God, you can finally know that you're complete. No longer have that void. You know you can live free and have joy. You discover that your life here on earth is about something much bigger than you. You discover that you're here on a mission. You discover a new you, a changed you. You didn't really decide to change, but God began to change you on the inside. Something's happening to you. You thought you were learning about Jesus with your mind, but along the way, your heart became engaged. You discovered a very real relationship with a very real and present God, and you can't explain it. But you've experienced it. And you know that you know that you know that you're right with God. And you're living in a relationship soaked in his love. You just know. You understand what Paul meant when he wrote to the Romans that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You've been set free from guilt and shame, and you no longer fear meeting God because you meet him every day. Yet most of us will spend this Christmas apart from all that. Great holiday if the Christians don't bug us too much about that salvation thing. The story of Jesus, God, and God's plan for salvation for us is so obvious in the Holy Scriptures that I truly believe it's self-revelatory. I don't know how you read the Bible and don't come to the conclusion that God wrote it. You have to do some pretty incredible interpretive gymnastics from the Bible to get away from that reality. And that's when it hit me. The answer to so what? Why does this book mean everything to some and nothing really to other people? Why do some study it every day and find God speaking to them and directing them and encouraging them? And for others, it's a boring book of Jewish history. What separates those two groups? Well, it turns out the answer is written on the cover. 
Every Bible ever printed has two words on the front. Holy Bible. You see, for some people over the centuries, this is just a book. A book like any other book written by man. Full of fanciful stories, made up miracles, and some decent moral teachings. Jesus was a world influencer, maybe a religious man. Could have even been a prophet. But this book is no different than the Iliad or War and Peace or the Koran. It's just a book. What are y'all going nuts over? But this book self-proclaims that it's holy. It's the only book that does that. Holy means it originates from God, having the very essence of God and expressing the very nature of God. You see, for many others over the century, this book is the Holy Bible. It's not a book of religious ideas. It's a holy book written by God himself. It was written by God through his spirit. He spoke to the very heart of writers and directed every word, every thought, every idea in the holy text. This book is without error, without contradiction, and contains the only truth in the world. It reveals, reflects, and defines God. It explains human origins, human events, and future events with perfection. It is the story of Jesus, God who came to earth to save those he loves. You see, your entire experience this Christmas depends on how you look at the word holy. The Holy Bible is still the number one bestseller of all time. It's written by 40 authors over 1,500 years. Most never knew each other. Most did not have access to the other people's writings. The writers often wrote things that made no sense to them. They wrote them anyway because they had a sense that God was telling them to write. Can you imagine writing a book, knowing that you should write something down in a very exact way, but also knowing that what you're writing down makes no sense to you or to the people you know who are going to read it? For example, the prophet Zechariah. He clearly saw a vision God had given him, and God had asked him to describe it to people. He couldn't imagine the horror of what he saw. In his first century mind, he didn't even know what to call it, so he called it a plague. But he describes to us what is clearly going to be a nuclear explosion in the end times. Made no sense to John when he wrote it, but we read it and go, yeah, that's, that's nuclear. Zechariah 14, 12. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they're standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot their sockets and their tongues will rot their mouth. And on that day, a great panic from the Lord shall fall on them so that each will seize the hand of the other and the hand of one will be raised against the hand of the other. Prophets described and foretold of Jesus being crucified hundreds of years before any man had ever thought of it as a way of killing people. The prophets spoke of a specific day, 33 AD, Palm Sunday, when the Messiah would present himself to the temple of God. They foretold this hundreds of years before that date happened. Today we call it Palm Sunday. The streets were lined with people that day because they expected the Messiah to show up. No other religion wrote the perfect autobiography of its leader thousands of years before he was born describing thousands of details extremely specifically and undeniably, not even one wrong. 
This book claims to be holy. Almost everything that we know about God and man and sin and heaven and hell and salvation comes from this book. Holy Bible, holy scriptures. It means not from man. It means that it's pure, untarnished, and comes from the throne of God. These are God's scriptures, not ours. These are God's truths, not ours. Holy sets apart these ancient writings from every other book ever written. Holy means without fault, without contradiction, without error. God is pure and perfect, and thus his revelation to man must be the same. There can be no contradiction in the Holy Scriptures. There can be nothing false. They're either holy or they're not. These are self-proclaimed holy scriptures. Literally, the writings of God, God's revelation of himself to man and God's revelation of truth to man. These ancient words come straight from God. His insight, his truth to those he tells us that he loves. The Holy Scriptures are literally breathed out from God. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for repute, for corrections, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All Scripture, every single word, every verse, every story, every doctrine, it's not in doubt. The question is, how do we receive it? For those who believe that this book is holy, you can't change it. You can't manipulate it. You can't stand over it with your idea of what should or should not be in there. Doing so mocks God. He defined truth. He wrote it down. God says there's a heaven. God says there's a hell. God says we have to put our faith in Jesus to be saved. It's not negotiable. It's what the book says. But so many say, God, I know that's what you say is true. This is your truth, but I know more than you do. I don't think you got this right. I want salvation if you're going to offer it to me, but I'm not really into your holy book. I don't like the rules. There are things in there I don't like, so I'll change so I can feel better because, God, I I know better than you do what truth really is. You see, the scriptures are either God's truth or they're not. It's not an opinion. It's just reality. This book claims to be the holy revelation of God to man. It either is or it isn't. God has either revealed all to us that we need to know, he sealed and guarded it and protected the message through generations, or he hasn't. These words were penned and recorded long before God gave us life and the free will to have an opinion about them. Our opinion doesn't change the truth of these words. If this book really contains God's truth, our opinions don't change that. If this book doesn't contain God's truth, Our opinions don't check that either. This book stands on its own or falls on its own. The book itself claims to be the undiluted holy truth from God, and we have to choose to accept that or not. We can embrace it as holy, we can reject it as not, but we can't change it. We can't reshape it, we can't redefine it. We can't erase certain verses we don't like. God tells us to take it or leave it because he claims that these are his words. And man shouldn't touch what's holy. So if you don't like it, you can write your own scriptures. That's what Muhammad did. It's what L. Ron Hubbard did. It's what Joseph Smith did with the Mormon. There are hundreds of religions, hundreds of human philosophies. Scriptures and put their opinions and thoughts in them. They make them say what they want to say. They redefine God's truth. 
and they update it for the modern world. They aren't interested in God's truth. They're writing a book that they would write if they were God. But only one collection of ancient texts claims to be the holy scripture of God. Only one claims to be holy, perfect, no contradictions, no errors, and then backs it up. Millions who believe these words to be holy have died because of that belief. More each day today than ever in human history. But the world's full of martyrs. A lot of people have died for a lot of different religions. How do we decide? Because what others decided to do with this book has nothing to do with us. Doesn't matter what they did. What matters is what you and I decide to do with the word holy. So how do we decide? If there's even an ounce of faith in you to believe that these words could be God's holy truth, just an ounce, then they reveal themselves. Once your heart decides it's possible, you'll find him. You can't study these scriptures with a true desire to know him and not come out on the other end certain they are holy. It's that obvious. However, if you study these ancient texts, have already decided that they're not God's truth or that you know better than God? Your opinion's already been placed over them. You'll read them and they won't make any sense to you. It'll just seem like a book, like a history book because you don't really have a heart to want to know him. If you change God's truth to your own, you're not seeking him, you're trying to use him. You're not embracing holy scriptures, you're embracing the book you would write if you were God. These holy words are only revealed to those who are seeking with their heart. It's not a mind thing. Once your heart is set to know the truth, God reveals truth in buckets. I never understood that until I lived it. One day when I finally grew up around age 30, I told God if he was real, if these truths are really his, then I have to know. I have to know. I was desperate to discover truth. I knew my life had to be more than just about me and my things that I've accomplished. Discovering the truth of God became the most important pursuit in my life. I didn't want to believe. I didn't want to become my parents. I didn't want to admit they were right. I, di I didn't like church and I didn't want to be a Christian. I didn't like that Jesus claimed to be the only way. I didn't agree with God about some of his truths. I honestly didn't want them to be true. No one likes the idea of hell. No one likes to be corrected. I didn't like what God said about sexual purity or sexual orientation. I didn't want to surrender. Becoming a Christian was the last thing I wanted to be. I even went to church one Easter to laugh at weak people who thought they needed a God. And most of all, I didn't want to admit that I'd been wrong and didn't want to surrender to God's truth in my life. You see, I wanted to be in control. I still wanted God on my terms, not his. But I got to a point where I needed more. My life was incomplete and those Christians seemed to have something I didn't have. They had peace. A deep sense of peace. It was as everything was okay no matter what happened to them. Not denial, peace. I wanted to live in that kind of peace more than I wanted to be right. I wanted to live without worry or anxiety or fear of my future. I knew they had it and I knew I didn't. 
And I knew deep in my heart that they had found something or someone that I had missed. And you see, they accepted God on his terms, and I hadn't. So one day I picked up this book, and I told God from my heart, if you're real, if this book truly has ancient, holy scriptures from your mouth to me, then God, you got to show me. If you're real, I have to know. I didn't realize it at the time that God had already promised in his word to show me. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I'll be found by you, says the Lord. If you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. That's a promise in scripture. If that's not true, the rest of the book we can forget about. I discovered that you don't turn your mind off to find God, just the opposite. God wants you fully engaged in the holy text with your mind. But you have to add the pursuit of your heart. You have to determine, God, if I determine these words to be holy, then I'm gonna surrender to your truth. Show me, God, why these words could not have come from man. Convince me that they're from you and I'll be all in. God says, do that and you'll find me guaranteed. I, along with millions of others over the years, have found that promise to be true. When I finally admitted to God that he could be an authority and that I could surrender to him, all of a sudden the world began to change. So tonight, all across the world, people are celebrating Christmas. They're giving gifts, they're connecting with loved ones, they're eating a lot of food. And there's two groups. Some are celebrating Jesus as revealed in the Holy Scriptures. Others are celebrating with really no thought of Jesus at all. I've been praying God and asking him, why was it so hard for me to see the truth? Why? Why did it take me so long? What kept me from following Jesus all those years? You see, God often answers prayers in odd ways. Recently, I was watching a movie about Abraham Lincoln You may or may not know that I'm a Civil War buff, and part of the movie was hard to watch. The violence in that war and every war is senseless. It needed to stop. People on both sides just lined up and walked into the bullets of the other side, and they all fell on the battlefield. It was incredibly dumb. But in this one battle, bodies were spread across the battlefield so thick that they said you could walk across the entire battlefield and never touch the ground. And at that very moment, I received my daily devotional on my phone. And it was titled, Christmas, Peace on Earth. I looked at the phone, I looked back up at the screen. Looked at the phone, looked back up at the screen. And then a truth hit me. There can't be peace without surrender. As I watched the North and the South fighting for control, I realized they kept going until finally one side surrendered and stopped the madness. Ulysses S. Grant was known as U.S. Grant, and people said the U.S. stood for unconditional surrender. The war would not end until Robert E. Lee bowed and surrendered to U.S. Grant. His only option was to surrender or die. He finally realized he'd come against a power greater than his. That's when it hit me. I realized that we've been doing the same thing with God. Since Adam and Eve, man has been in a battle with God over authority. He demands of us that we allow him to be God. And we stiffen and reject him. 
Even knowing that death is imminent and certain, we hold on to our independence that we never really had and we reject God. It doesn't seem to matter how many prophecies are fulfilled or how certain it was that Jesus died and resurrected, how many undisputed miracles Jesus performed or the overwhelming evidence in the Holy Scriptures. Some people sadly go to hell all the while claiming to be in control. God will love them enough to give them what they want. An eternity separated from him. God could have forced our surrender. He could have used brutal force, but instead he chose a more powerful force to make us surrender. It's unfair, really. He chose unconditional, unmerited, and unlimited love. The most powerful force on the planet. God desires that every person surrender to his truth rather than die trying to fight him. That baby in the manger, God himself came to earth to show us God's love. That kind of love comes only from the throne. His love is unconditional. We argue with God, he loves. We reject God, he loves. We curse God, he loves. We chase other gods, he loves. We reject truth, he loves. We ignore his suffering and he loves. We mock his truth, he loves. We live oblivious in the midst of his blessings in our lives and even take credit for them, and he still loves us. We sin, and he loves. We try to change his truth, he still loves. We ignore his birthday, he loves. We reject the cross, he loves. We go to hell, he loves. God's love for us is unconditional. There is no condition that makes him love you more, no condition that makes him love you less. He just loves you. Whether you like it or not, whether you want it or not, deal with it. He just loves you. It's God's very nature to love us. He hates your sin, but he sure loves you. He hates to see what it's doing to you. When you realize how much he loves you, surrender becomes easy. I never felt the true love of God until I stopped fighting his authority. Once I allowed my heart to consider the possibility that scriptures were holy, God opened up my eyes and I began to experience his overwhelming love. You see, I thought I knew love when I married my wife. I I thought I knew a deeper love when God blessed us with children. I couldn't imagine loving anyone or anything more than my child. But then I experienced God's love. His love is completely overwhelming and consuming. If you experience it, you'll never be the same. His love changes everything about you. You know that no form of human love can even come close. God's unconditional love is poured out from his throne. It's like finally going home, isn't it? Finally being loved for who you are without any restrictions. Finally being fully known and at the same time fully accepted. It's incredible. Those who read the scriptures and know that they're holy, we see this night and we call it a holy night. We live at peace with God because we've surrendered to his authority, the authority he always had. We brought to Jesus our unconditional surrender and in return we've been soaked in his unconditional love. We want everyone to experience it. We want everybody to live at peace with God, to be loved and accepted exactly as you are. Stop trying to perform. 
to live this life free of anxiety and worry and fear, to know the future and to know that it's good, to come home and know that you finally arrived where you've always belonged. God gave us the Holy Bible. It's his truth, his outline, his guide for our life. It is his perfect revelation of himself to us. It reveals his authority. It reveals the only plan for salvation. He demands that we surrender and accept Jesus as our Lord, but doing so is like diving into a massive pool of his love. So on this Christmas Eve, my prayer is that you'll consider maybe, just maybe, the events of this night are holy. They were ordained and orchestrated by God, and it's holy because everything about Christmas is about God. When you realize the full extent of his holiness, there's only one response. Everyone who recognizes God's holiness falls on their knees and worships him. That's why they were on their knees in front of that baby that night. Unconditional surrender to an overpowering, overloving God. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you care for us. I thank you, God, that your word is true. I pray, God, for all of us as we have a nature that wants to resist your truth. I pray for breakthroughs. I pray that people would begin to see the truth and live it. I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't lived it. So, God, I thank you for every person here. I thank you for every person online. I pray, God, as we continue to worship that you'll open our hearts, that we'll never see the word holy again and not recognize that it means it's all from you. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.